everybody. This is Dr. William Clark, the host of Dr. William Clark Podcast and Vice President of Strategic Initiative. Today, we are doing the CRI Podcast. Uh, I guess this is, this is the unofficial name of the podcast, Rob. I don't know if we've ever come up with it. Which you last time. <laughs> yeah. Or, or today, we can name it the Entry Point Podcast, uh, randomly. Uh, and, and the reason why we can do that so willy-nilly is because we have a new program a new business, a new uh, opportunity that's become a part of the CRI family, that is entry point staffing. Uh, so with that being said, to have this conversation brought Rob the Hebert back uh, for another edition of this CRI podcast. And uh, this is what we're going to talk about today. Rob, how are you? Good, good, good. Coming off a restful Father's Day. Yeah. And well, also, it seems like we had a good meal as well. Yeah, yeah. Can't go wrong with the clam bake, right? And no, uh, you know what? I miss I miss going out on our lunch dates. Yep. Yeah. Tacos for sure. For sure. Uh, that's that's that should be the official food of CRI. Just tacos. <laughs> no argument. <laughs> well, if the, if this social venture went the way of a food truck instead of a staffing <laughs> agency, it probably would have been a taco food truck. <laughs> for some reason, I don't know why. I, I remember we did talk about that with Scott, and I don't know. If, Someone or I brought up a taco stand, but it was definitely a serious conversation that it got it has to be tacos. Like just well, no argument. The, well, everybody loves tacos. I mean, tacos are just a form of a sandwich. Everyone loves some form of sandwich, so why not do yep. it? Why not? But tacos. Is we went the other way. Hey, I might get tacos for lunch today. You keep talking about tacos. <laughs> oh man! But anyway, so besides us being fat uh, <laughs> in this podcast, obviously we love tacos. Uh, we want to talk about entry point staffing. Um, so I guess here's the setup for the conversation, Rob. Uh, you know, before you and I ever came to CRI, um, Scott, our CEO, and Ann, uh, Carr, our, um, I don't know, was it former COO, uh, vice president of operations, or she was everything uh, to she, CRI. She, she was, is, and probably ever, always will be everything to CRI. Yeah, so the official multi-tool of CRI, uh, yep. who is sadly retiring. Uh, but about 15 years ago, they had a vision of launching a staffing agency. And obviously, uh, I guess most of your staff was not here for that conversation, except Rob and Ann. And I guess legend has it, you know, they, they got really close to doing it and they just, it just didn't happen. So fast forward to 2018, 2019, conversations start happening again. Uh, we engage in some serious planning for uh, the better part of 2019 uh, with some uh, friends and colleagues from SVP, which has uh, been really helpful and impactful to Social a lot of what we're partners. doing. Social venture partners, uh, which actually they may be known to a number of, number of our friends watch this podcast because they get around the state quite a bit. Um, and so because of that relationship, uh, we engaged in some serious conversations about it to the point that we concluded 2019, jumped into 2020 with the prospect of raising startup funds to actually launch this baby. And by the time we submitted the grant application, grant application for startup funds, um, we were pretty confident that it was going to happen. And so uh, as of late May, we got the formal announcement that uh, with the partnership of Impact Fairfield County, we will be launching entry point staffing 
sometime this year. So that is the setup for the conversation. Did I miss anything? Is anything you want to add to that context that will no, help folks? No, um, I think it's a, I mean, I was intimately involved with the process up into all the way from, you know, when we first started talking to SVP and before, all the way up to getting, you know, word um, from the funder that we got the money. Um, so when I say that it's a, it's a cool story on how we got here, I'm probably a little biased because, you know, I feel a little bit like a, it's very personal to me. But um, nonetheless, I'll say it was a really cool story. I mean, it, uh, as part of our agency's strategic plan, you know, this was, uh, the concept was that this would serve two purposes. First of all, it'd give us an opportunity to hold our clients longer and care for them better. Um, make sure they have, especially returning citizens, um, who make up a large part of our portfolio now, um, give us a better opportunity to make sure that they transition well home and into the workplace because um, we'll have our, you know, our hand on that process um, as often as possible. You know, the other piece is it's a social venture for sure. So it um, gives us the ability to generate some revenue to do, again, more for these clients longer. As you know, very few of our grants come with um, basic needs, monies, or, um, you know, any special funds where if somebody is, you know, going to lose their apartment or if they need gear to go to work or, issues with their transportation. We just don't have the money to do it. It's not part of anything that we do. Um, right. Some agencies have uh, funding mechanisms, um, uh, do a really good job of that. Um, so that for special needs, uh, I'll cite CPA, the ones I cite the most because they got their act together really good. Um, they always have an, you know, that slush money. So we good to have that as well. But um, yeah, so the concept was as part of our strategic plan, and you know, one of the sort of pillars of it was that we were going to have the staffing agency, um, how we're going to go about doing it, and, and our friends at SVP, um, uh, one in particular, uh, Sylvia Shepard, who had some connections, uh, lots of connections actually, um, put myself and, um, and Kate Kimberly, who some of you listening will know, um, at a meeting in Lowell, Massachusetts in the fall of 2019. Um, this meeting was for the Alternative Staffing Alliance, which I had didn't even know they existed. I was wow. so bad. I was so mad that I had a conflict, man. So mad. So I, I learned a lot that day, um, for sure. Like I didn't know what the ASA was. Right. Um, I didn't really know that there was this whole industry of staffing agencies that were for high, highly barriered people and specialized demographics. I didn't, I didn't know that was a thing. Um, um, <laughs> but anyway, at this meeting, it was very, for me, it was funny. I've been doing this, um, placing people with criminal histories for quite a while. And two jobs ago, a good friend of mine now, who was my supervisor then, June O'Leary, um, formerly of CMHA, and now the shorts of the city of New Britain, she comes over to my desk and throws an article on my desk about this, this uh, place in Maine called Maine Works and this woman, Margot Walsh, who is doing some fantastic stuff with helping people with criminal histories and, and substance abuse get back to work. I read the thing and I was instantly enamored with her, this lady, and, and, and the idea of what she was doing. But it was very far removed from my existence, so I kind of like threw it 
you know, packed it away and kept it moving. Um, fast forward to this meeting at Lowell Mass, who's sitting across the table from me, but one Margot Walsh. So I was both star starstruck and uh, feeling very small in the same moment. But uh, she turned out to be a wonderful person. Um, we ended up um, developing a relationship over time. Um, I spent a week with her up in Portland, Maine in January. Um, uh, is it okay to say I froze my ass off? <laughs> yep, you took one for the team. It was cold at five in the morning in Portland, Maine. It was frankly awful. Um, I stood in the snow out by a fire with her crew um, talking about how their day was going to be owned by them. And that was a really good experience. But um, so we ended up being able to write Margo into our grant application for Fair, Impact Fairfield County. Great group of people, by the way. Um, and uh, we won. We beat 50 I think it was, give or take a few other nonprofits, um, two of which were finalists as well, who had great presentations. I, in fact, um, I wasn't feeling so good that day about our chances because they were really, really good presentations from the other people, other, the other agencies. Um, and when they told us that we had won, you know, all in this, at the same moment, there was all of Scott and Ann's aspirations for 15 years and all of the work that we collectively put in the Strive team and the research end and, and myself and, and Angela Pellegrino Grant and Margot and, you know, sort of the way the agency was, I felt like it was probably unreasonable to feel that way, but I did. I felt like the way the agency was kind of on my shoulders because it was part of our strategic plan that sort of needs all of its parts to function. Um, I definitely had a hard time with my emotions. It was a, a, a good friend of mine, not a coworker of ours, Ina Mariano was actually in my office in the corner um, when it was announced. And I, I told her that she could never report out how I looked or how I behaved after the call. <laughs> yeah, so as I was saying, uh, uh, while you might've told Ina that, unfortunately I already saw the video. <laughs> and the video concluded with the God bless from you. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> I, I, it was just, uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was, uh, <laughs> it, no, when I tell you nerve wracking, like, I don't care. We, we put in applications all the time. You know, you put it in and you kind of walk away and get to the next one to keep it going. But this one had a lot of, um, got a lot of legs. It's going to hopefully be something that stays with us for the remainder of the life of the agency. Yeah. Um, sort of. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot there. So, so, we don't need to. <laughs> so to talk about just, um, you know, the emotion behind it for people that may be wondering, particularly, you know, nonprofits. So over my shoulder is a green book called sustainable. That's my uh, doctoral thesis. And in that book, I talk about how to sustain a faith-based and a nonprofit organization through earned income strategies and the infrastructure you need, the culture you need, uh, the foundation you need. And so what we've done has brought to life what I've talked about. And I've advised other clients over the years, uh, other nonprofits on how to do what we've done um, to make that shift 
to to a earned income business can be nerve wracking for nonprofits, as you described, for a number of reasons, because, you know, we all deal with the issue of restricted budgets, limited line items to spend money. Um, and yet the needs of our clients continue to evolve and grow. And so there's a lot riding on, you know, not just getting the grant, but also the next phase, which is like materializing it. And, you know, for those who are watching, who just, um, who was trying to survive through during COVID, uh, I think y'all can, can relate to why Rob is saying what he's saying. Like it does, it, it matters. And, the success of this can can lead to a number of outcomes that we hope to realize sooner rather than later. And so, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it emotionally. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a very big deal. Um, I mean, we have, you know, just any given day when we talk about this, <clears throat> we have um, our friends in Maine, Mm -hmm. They have stake in this because this is the first time that they will have consulted another agency on how to do this. So there's credibility that they are going to get out of this for sure. Um, SVP has invested their time and their money in us, right? So we don't want to let them down for sure. <clears throat> so that's two big players. And I haven't even talked about us. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of staff, and a lot of clients that are looking forward to this. A lot of our friends, um, you know, our, our um, brother and sister agencies out there that do similar work to us um, that know that this is coming. They, they're sort of, sort of kind of gently let me know that I'm on the clock, you know. <laughs> I've had people in Hartford and up your way. When are you going to be in Hartford? I'm like, wait, time out. We're, we're coming. <laughs> we're coming. Give us a minute or two. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and for the record, for those that are watching, uh, Entry Point, um, by the nature of its funding, um, has to and will begin in Fairfield County. Um, we're going to have deliverables, um, like any program that we're going to have to meet um, for the funder um, for, for a couple of years. Um, but again, like any other program, you know, once we've reached our deliverables and our goals, anything up above and beyond that is, you know, that's for us to do whatever what we want with. I don't suspect we're going to have an issue. Um, it's just the nuts and bolts that we got to get together. Um, we know the employers. We've been placing people with second chance employers since long before I or William, Dr. Clark came around. Yeah, um, yeah. As some of you may or may not know, watching this, our CEO, Scott Wilderman, started the Bridgeport Reentry Collaborative to do <clears throat> just this, you know, help returning citizens back in 2007. So since then, we've been kind of building a corral of second chance employers. And, and for those employers that want to say they're second chance employers, but have a, um, a little bit, some apprehension about any perceived risk, this will give them that opportunity as you know, career, res career resources and entry point will be the employer of record. So there's that. Man, there's so much to talk about, um, you know, in terms of why, why this project. Um, one of the things that you and I have synergy on uh, is our joint belief that the programs we run should be integrated uh, and, and braided um, together, not by force, but by strategy, 
right? So, you know, I'm sure you can rattle off organizations I can too that are doing things and they're for, trying to force things to merge, but they really don't. The interesting thing about our work um, across the board, there's a whole lot of synergy. Um, can you just share your thoughts about how existing work that we're already engaged in, from your view, already integrates nicely into what we're planning to launch with EntryPoint? So, as you know, and maybe some of whoever's going to watch this may know, we do a lot of stuff, right? Um, <laughs> um, agencies and funders that typically um, kind of do one thing and focus on <clears throat> one thing um, have criticized us a little bit for being a collection of programs. I think that was a term thrown about a couple of years ago. And we pushed back fairly hard against that. Um, because, you know, menus are great, right? You love looking at a menu. It's not a collection of recipes. It's a menu. It's the way it should be. Um, you know, we don't want to be all things to all people, but we know what our clients look like, right? They have, you know, at least I'm not talking about the displaced workers mm -hmm. who pretty much have their act together, but they just lost their job for, no, you know, no fault, no fault of their own, a business moved away or whatever. I'm not talking about those folks. I'm talking about our folks that are in our job first employment services program. I'm talking about our Strive clients. I'm talking about our halfway house clients. I'm talking about our fatherhood clients. These folks come to us with multiple barriers. You know, <clears throat> why would we ever try to address one of them and expect a good outcome? That would be, that would be ridiculous. So, uh, for example, um, uh, our fatherhood program that we run through a, um, under uh, director Kenny Jackson, who was a great guy. Um, when we started um, working in the halfway houses, we took the fatherhood program. It was Kenny's idea, actually. Um, it was his, he wanted to work with the fathers at the halfway house. We decided to take a house and make it a fatherhood house where everybody in there would be exposed to the fatherhood program should they want to require that. Um, that was an instant you know, success. That house, that particular house, and those of you watching that know about halfway houses, <clears throat> you walk in and there's a little bit of a, um, you can almost feel friction in the air a little bit. You know, you're not in a regular house. You're somewhere where there's some tension. Um, about a month after starting the integration of the father program in there, in there, it just went away. And that was, you know, I think uh, a result of having like-minded people sharing space together. It's kind of became a cohort model of, of halfway housing a little bit. Um, and again, um, you know, we, we moved on to then having Strive come in and, and, you know, we're in the process of, I don't want to say we're there because I think that'd be premature but we're in the process of trying to um, integrate Strive into um, the halfway house program that we run um, and others across the state, frankly, with our, with our partners. Um, I'll tell you that I, I attended the first cohort, first Strive cohort in Bridgeport, their graduation, when it was basically, that class was made up of basically all halfway house residents. And we knew we were onto something right away because these men and women look different after. Um, 
they found success and employment very soon after. Actually, I just, so you know, Dr. Clark, I just spoke to um, Courtney, who basically, I, I, and I referenced Courtney in the video presentation to impact Fairfield County for the, for the grant that we're kind of talking about. Um, he's a supervisor now at LexCorp um, and a graduate of Strive and a graduate of the Isaiah Halfway House program. So, um, yeah, so I would say that our friend Courtney, former resident of, of Isaiah Halfway Houses, he is what integration, su successful integ integration of programs looks like. Um, so yeah, we're looking to do more and more and more of it as we go. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, you know, the thought came to my mind, we're not um, the cheesecake factory, the nonprofit world, like that, that's not the goal. Um, I think that that's an interesting place to be in if you are a cheesecake factory, the nonprofit world. I do know some organizations that do that. Um, and there seems to be there this, this large menu of services that that people can choose from, which is really interesting. Um, but that's not necessarily us. Um, you know, we've definitely become much more strategic over the years about the programs we launch, um, including Entry Point. And I think this kind of leads to like some of the research we, we put into Entry Point. Um, you know, I'll kick off this part of the conversation and you jump in too. Um, part of the research that went into entry point is what would be the feeder, the appropriate feeder for uh, our new business. And we concluded that our workforce development program, Strive, would be uh, a worthy entry point, <laughs> no pun intended, um, you know, for, for this program. And I remember, I don't know if you were there for those conversations, but I remember pitching our Hartford WIOA program as the template for how this could work, where we go through this recruitment process, this training process, this employment placement process, this ongoing case manager process, et cetera. And that could serve as kind of the, the template, the bar of determining what do we have what it takes to actually do something um, like this. What do, you, what do you remember about that point in time? Well, and part of the conversation, uh, as I recall, was how are we different? Because at some point, we're going to have to sell this to an employer, right? Right. So, so why, why are we not, and I'm just going to throw some, you know, I'm not going to use names, um, ABC Employment Staffing Agency. Why are we not them? And, um, you know, how do we, how do we pitch that? How do, how do we put um, controls and quality controls in place? Um, that was a question. Um, and, and as a result of those questions and others, you know, we thought that if we had the program uh, be fed by Strive, that'd be great. And then it kind of turned. What if Strive was a requirement and not just a place where we're going to snare some people? Um, and it kind of just evolved. And, 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 I, and the more we talked about it, the more it made sense that if we could tell employers <clears throat> we're different because all of our people have had three weeks of pre-employment training in a nationally recognized program, and they have case management with them to follow if there's any bumps in the road. Um, that's different. 
um, you know, staffing agencies typically, um, again, I'm not saying anything that isn't known industry-wide, they're not touchy-feely like at all. Um, come in, do your job. Here's your check and leave. If the employer doesn't want you, then they don't want you. No, ask, not going to ask questions. You're just done. Um, we don't want to do that. Um, a, a lot of what we want to do is nurture people and care for them as they're trying to figure out what it is to be employees. Um, as you know, and um, a lot of our, anybody's watching this would know, you know, our Strive graduates uh, or Strive candidates, <laughs> they don't typically have long, you know, uh, successful, robust work histories that they that they can lean on. Um, a lot of their ability and abilities to be good employees comes from self-exploration as part of the program. Um, a lot of folks don't realize coming out of incarceration that they know stuff. They know how to work. They know they know how things work. They, they get it. They've been in work crews. They've done any number of um, things in prison, and we know whether it be culinary or, or janitorial or cleaning, uh, work crews, uh, landscaping. Um, a lot of them do peer, men peer mentoring is something that goes on in prisons now. So, um, yeah, if, if that that was that was the sell point that we decided to lean on, and that's what we, you know, we wrote up in the grant was that you know these folks would have to be graduates of Strive, and they would have case management to follow and. I remember, I'll tell a funny story. I know, you want a good one? I'll bring you back in time. We had a gentleman um, who was moving his company into Bridgeport from New Jersey. Um, <laughs> for reasons we, we'll talk about right now, we're going to leave that company unnamed, but they make a food item. So this gentleman came to tour our, uh, our corporate headquarters at then 350 Fairfield Avenue. And... Um, we had a Strive cohort going on. So we showed him the job center and we showed him the Strive class and we showed him all the things that we do to produce hopefully job ready people for employers. When he finished the tour, um, we went to the conference room and he sat down and, you know, you know what do you think? And he said, this is great. Um, his one question for Dr. Clark and myself was, what does this cost? What do I, how much is you going to charge me for this? And, and like we were sort of halfway through the, the strategic planning and we knew we were going to do this staffing agency piece and William, Dr. Clark and I just looked at each other like we're on the right track. <laughs> this is, this is something that can happen. It was, that was, that was kind of affirmation moment for me or I was sort of frankly wishy-washy with how it was going to go. And after that, I, it was full speed ahead for me. I haven't looked back. Yeah, I remember that conversation, man. I, I remember, I remember, if, I don't know if you remember this, months before that conversation, I asked you if you can pull together roughly five employers to, for me to have a conversation with, to, to assess their interest in this concept. And, and we had a solar company, we had a dairy company. That's right. A construction company. That's right. And the other, and the other two didn't show up. Right. And, and really what I got out of that conversation was more of what they would need to do this, what they would need to pull this off. I don't know if, well, I know you remember this. We, <clears throat> we interviewed not only a couple of companies, um, 
to, to kind of get a sense of the, the market demand and, of course, the story you mentioned. We also looked at possibly acquiring a staffing agency uh, in place. And, and so for people watching, right, and, and I'm going to share this on my platform, Rob, but the people who are watching um, and listen to this conversation, the reason why, like, this part of the conversation means so much is it's not simply, oh, we got the award for $100,000 to launch this company and everything was daisies and roses. Like, no, there were, there were so many iterations to this conversation that you and I personally had uh, conversations about. I'm sure you had conversations with Angela and Scott separately that we ultimately landed where we are today. And it was all, it was all healthy. It was all necessary to kind of say, well, what about this idea? Try it out as fast as we could, either fail or succeed or realize, no, that's a bad idea. It, another concept that we've uh, wrestled with, but I think it was tested in Strive and adapted to what you're talking about now was what we call place-based case management, that differentiator that we're still working to perfect and master. And given Corona, that, that's a, that might look a little different these days. Uh, like 2018, 2019 was so just, it was so interesting to kind of, go through that process, the business model options. I remember going back and forth with you about, look, man, <laughs> I got these three different model options. I don't, I don't necessarily, I, I knew there was one that I preferred. And I think we did go with that one, but there were these two or three options I was looking at and you didn't help me at all. Cause you were just like, you were just like ambivalent as much as I was. And then we brought in a friend to kind of give some insight. And she certainly brought clarity to, Oh, y'all can do both. Well, how does that work? And she <laughs> it was all three and she broke it down. I'm like, and I remember taking these furious notes <laughs> and, and realizing, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Let's, let's do that. Let's do that. So, I mean, it was, it was just a lot that went into just where we are now, man. Yeah. Um, it was our friend, Jane. <laughs> yeah. She's still, she's, she's still a friend. She's, yeah. uh, She's actually um, going to be one of many people that try to help us find our director, um, which is probably, I've said this a hundred times to a hundred people, when we find this person, they're going to have a lot of work to do. They're going to have a lot of pressure on them, but there'll be no human being minus maybe a president that's going to have more support um, than this person the whole agency is going to give them whatever they want <laughs> um because it's yeah. important. but it's you know um i don't know if you want to talk about that person um but um you know we are hiring for or looking to hire the director of entry point staffing and um i i i'm pretty good i think at hiring people i, I haven't had many many at all go, go, go bad on me, knock on wood. Um, but I think it's cause I know what I'm looking for ahead of time, like in, in concept at least. Um, um, like, uh, when we hired our director for our halfway houses, I knew exactly what I needed, like a hundred percent. And, um, and I didn't think I was going to find it. And, uh, the last person I interviewed, um, I think I interviewed like 17 people. The last one, it, and uh, the minute I laid my eyes on her, I said, this is it. Um, I remember the conversation well. Oh, it was, <laughs> I couldn't, there's no way that was going to fail. She is an <laughs> awesome person um, and, and 
so glad that I didn't settle. But um, yeah, shout out to Kim. Kim is Kim Harris. Yeah, Miss mm -hmm. Kim L. Harris, uh, Director of Residential Services for Career Resources. She's a wonderful person. Yep. Um, and has become a good friend. But um, this person, this Director for Entry Point Staffing, um, I know first and foremost, they got to be socially conscious. They got to mm -hmm. care. Um, I say all the time that one of the big things that makes us different is that we don't have to try to care. It's not something we think about. It's inherent in who we are. Um, I have stories about that that'll, that I could share, but they're maybe not related, so I'll leave it alone. Um, they got to care, first of all, first and foremost. Um, but for this to work, um, they got to have some business acumen as well. They got to understand dollars and cents. Um, not that we don't in the nonprofit world, but you know, we're nonprofit, right? All we've got to do is try to not lose money, um, which is easier said than done sometimes. But um, they got to be a leader of people because if this goes well and it goes the way it should, this will grow. Um, they gotta, they gotta know when to ask for help. Um, and we got that preloaded. Our friend Margaret Walsh, we've hired her as a consultant, so she's there. Um, but I just don't know. Uh, it, it's a, it's an interesting blend that's gonna um, make up this person. And I've, I've never met anybody, and you know our networks are pretty large, as, as I think you would agree, Dr. Clark. Um, and for me to say that I don't have anybody in my network that reminds me of someone that could do this, it's kind of nerve wracking, frankly, like I'm on the clock. <laughs> I have a closing date of June 30th on, uh, um, for this, and we do have some good people to interview and I don't know them well enough to say, you know. They're obviously qualified because we're going to be interviewing them, but I've just never had a situation where I didn't know for sure, like who fits that bill, somebody like that. So um, if you know anyone that can fit that bill, hebridacareerresources.org, let me know. So, so let's, let's do this. Let's, let's like switch gears to talk about this person. So, um, there, I'm going I'm to walk you through a couple of things, uh, concepts that are in my book, Sustainable Rob, for you to respond to. But before I get to that, uh, in your words, and then I'll answer this question too, um, describe the culture of CRI. What, what would this person be getting themselves into culture-wise uh, if they decide to come on board and lead this effort? Um, again, I got to go back to, you know, you know, like um, doctors and nurses, you know, their first, first rules do no harm. Um, you know, I think, I think we start there. I mean, I think um, our culture is a lot of, um, a lot of respect for where the, our clients are. Um, I've been around a lot of people in a lot of agencies um, and, um, there's always a certain degree of certain portion of the agency or a group that can still have be a little callous and um, not care all the time. That's not us. Um, everybody 
from our halfway houses to our strive staff to our AJC staff. Um, we're just willing to do so much for our people and give of ourselves um, at a level I haven't seen before in other agencies. Not to say our partners and friends aren't great, but it's, I'm amazed all the time. Um, I don't know if you saw the, uh, um, one of our residents at our halfway house um, did a video with our residents and our, and our um, employees over there um, during uh, the pandemic. Well, I guess we're still in the pandemic, but when it was rather bad over there. Um, and it was, it, I don't know. It struck me as interesting that, that they were able to, to take um, really a really awful situation and, and kind of make it a little bit fun. Um, yeah. Uh, CRI is just, a, I, I would say it's a culture of caring. First of all, um, not being out for yourself. Um, as far as what it's like to, to, to work for CRI, you're always going to have support. I know you support your team like crazy. I know you stay up at night thinking about ways to support them and make sure that they feel valued and um, compensated and um, cared for. Um, I know during the pandemic, I, I, I have barely slept as I've worried about my halfway house staff, almost like, you know, their family. Um, I know, and that comes from Scott, that comes from our boss. Um, he takes the job home with him every day, not to say that's healthy, but just who we are. And um, if you come on board with us, um, it is more like family than other places, for sure. Yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with none of that. I mean, I, uh, I know you, I, and Scott, um, we have our own stories about why we care so much about clients. And those stories intersect um, into the culture he's already established. But I think, you know your story and my story for whatever reasons we have our stories um they align with the bottom line you care about the clients first um i think if there's anything that's a deal breaker do something wrong to our clients or don't help them that that breaks all deals um mm -hmm. so i'll add this to the culture and i'm, I'm sure there's so much more to talk about but uh, you know you got to come work for us to kind of get a sense of the full scope um I will say that this is a place where you can't stay still or stand still or stand pat. Okay. No. Now it's not, the funny thing is I can say that to you. I can say this to Scott um, and you guys like live out the essence of that statement. He doesn't stay still at all. Like he's always pushing the envelope. You do. I do. And I think we just, we go as far as we can. And I think that this position that we're talking about, entry point director, this is definitely a role where you need to run hard, fast in as many directions as you can to get the job done and know that you can do it. Like there's no constraint on, on, on your creativity and innovation. Um, and I feel that way in my current job. I can't even imagine how this new person will be able to live that out in this job where uh, expanded creativity is welcomed. Um, I don't know if you want to jump in. <laughs> Indeed. <it. laughs> yeah. 
so so in in our in our own ways right i think we're all pretty smart people um this person is going to be leaning on so her team is going to be strive fatherhood um isaiah and mary magdalene houses businesses yeah um so she's going to have all these really smart creative people to lean on um and hopefully this person brings her own or his own degree of um, sort of uh, business savvy and, 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 and creativity to the table. Um, I fully expect um, when we get this person on board, uh, the first thing she does, I keep saying she, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking it's, I don't know. Maybe you know what it is. This is going to be where it's a baby, it's being born, it's nurturing. Maybe that's my head, but um when this person comes on board, one of the very first things they're going to do is sit with you and Kim and Kenny and Ernie um, and, and others to both get a feel of what it is to be at CRI, um, get reassured that you all are going to be there to support them, um, and just talk through strategy. Um, you know, we already have employers, you know, we're starting small. We're not going to try to have a hundred people working right away with 50 employers. That's not going to be a winning <laughs> a formula. We're going to have a few employers. So we're going to have like five to 10 clients. Then we got to, here's the other piece. What does a client mean? Now all of a sudden client means employer. So we have two kinds of clients in the same boat. So we're going to have to worry, talk about some language around that. But um, you know, we have the building blocks in our hands. So it's just getting the mechanism in place. Um, but yeah, that, I, I, I look forward to, mark my words, I'm going to walk into a room one day and you're going to be sitting there with Kenny and Kim and this person. And uh, I'm going to say, this was the day I was waiting for. I want to be present in this meeting. And then I'm glad that we're here. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe you can order some tacos on that special day. I will do that. From Mexico, specifically. <laughs> we have a meeting in Stanford, I guess, right? You might as well. Um, so, so we got about 10 minutes to go. Um, there, there are three things that I introduce in my book, Sustainable, um, when an organization, a nonprofit organization, or faith-based institution decides to do what we do. I'm going to share these three things, and I want you to respond to them one by one. So uh, here are the three things. An organization must have strong and sound leadership. The organization must welcome, introduce, and champion innovation. And the organization must have a laser focus on renewable resources, meaning money that continues to turn over and over and over again. Um, so let's start from the very beginning. When, when we talk about this person coming in, Rob, <clears throat> to entry point and taking on this role, uh, filling this in key spot that could lead to further diversification of our revenue, what type of leadership do you want this person to display? What leadership they must possess in this role? No fear at all. Is this like word association or do you want me to expand? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, Go ahead. You can take as long as you want. Can't be afraid. They can't be afraid. Um, they they have to trust. They have to trust that it that is the right thing to do. What we're doing, and they can't be scared at all. They got to be able to walk in a room and own it. Um, I think in our own rights, um, we've all in our circles have um, found a way to do that. Um, I know when I fell, sort of fell into the role that I'm, well, I'm a long way from where I started. <laughs> but when I fell into the role that I initially fell into, I was filling the shoes of one of the greatest people I've ever known. Um, you know, um, but shout him out. Shout him out. Uh, he's, watch, he's probably going to watch this later on. Uh, former former um, chairman of the Bridgeport Ranchery Collaborative and uh, uh, former director for business um, um, relations, um, Dan Braccio. Um, anybody who knows him knows that there's not a more quality individual that walks the earth, period. Um, and there's no reason for me to say it except for it's true. Um, I was intimidated to no end. Um, to be, you know, I guess I could have looked at it as I was, I uh, should have been uh, honored to, fall, to follow him, but that wasn't what I felt. I felt intimidated and I felt small. I felt very small and I hadn't felt small in my life before, so I didn't know how to manage that. Um, a very good friend of mine um, I took counsel from, uh, Sue Gunderman, I told her that I was... Um, managing poorly the feeling of being small and inadequate. And um, she told me, well, that's because you're trying to be Dan Braccio. And I said, well, isn't that what I'm ex expected to do? And she goes, no, no, you can't be him, but you can be you. And it's a pretty simple thing to say to somebody, right? It's not like earth shattering or anything, but um, she was right. And I just need to be the best version of me. And, and, it's funny, like that day, switch, turn to switch and fixed everything. So this person doesn't have to be Scott. This person doesn't have to be me. They got to be the best version of themselves and fearless. Um, because you can't, you can't do what we need to do with fear. You got to just throw it at the wall and go 100 miles an hour and you'll be fine. Because if we pick you, you're qualified. So let me let me add to that leadership piece. I think also, um, which I think that was a great story you shared. Uh, this person has to um, be okay influencing decisions in multiple arenas, because there's the feeder element of the business, you know, which is where I come in. Yep. But but this person also has to, and Kenny and and and, and Kim as well. But, but there's, there's the closing element, the closer within them has to come out to lead employers to a decision that makes sense. And hopefully a, a, that decision is choosing entry point as a solution for their staffing needs. Um, that is, that is going to be an interesting journey, but it's doable because we've done the research to know that it's doable um, our, our partners and consultants have proven that it's doable. So it's doable. Here's the second one, Rob, uh, innovation. Um, obviously we've talked about the culture of CRI, 
take us into the mindset this person got has to have to be innovative, creative, uh, boundless, boundaryless rather, uh, with their work. So I would say that um, this is a new thing for Connecticut, um, but it's not a new thing. So, so we know it can be done. Um, we have agencies across the country that have done this work for over a decade. Um, it's been successful. It's been sustainable. It's been hard, but you know, um, I don't see value in doing easy things all the time. Easy things don't give you a lot of reward. Um, so it's not new, but I, from what I've seen, and I think what you've seen, um, in your research, I think there's a lot of room for improvements. I think there are ways um, that some of the processes can be automated to a degree. Um, I think other agencies across the country, and we've, we've, we've mentioned the ASA, Alternative Staffing Alliance. I've looked at some of the ways that some of the members do things. And, you know, some of them still lean on the manual processes. Um, for um, payroll and such. Um, I think there's better ways to do it. Um, I don't want to be the guy to figure that out, <laughs> frankly. Um, so I would expect this person to look at ways um, to streamline processes. Um, you know, the nonprofit world typically is skinny administratively. So the more that we can, it, it's just, that's how it is. Um, you know, I, my, my wife often asks me, well, why did you, don't you have an assistant or something that can do that? <laughs> yeah, okay. My, my, our CEO doesn't really even have this. <laughs> Mrs. Hebert, she has no idea. Yeah, she doesn't. But, oh, um, man. But, but the more things that this individual can, can do to automate processes um, I think the more they'll be able to do because it'll expand their bandwidth. Um, and again, come in here and tell me what you need. Why is you know this part of the business, this part of your day, why does it suck? Let's figure out a way to make it not suck. But let's be honest, Rob. So, so let's be honest, right? Most companies and most and, and a large number of nonprofits don't have that culture where folks can come in and make strong suggestions and it be implemented. I have told my staff over the years uh, that it is their job to lead me to a decision they want me to make. If you feel that strongly about something, prove your case, convince me, done, right? Uh, other than that, it's not going to get done, but it's in your hands, right? But that's, I know I do that. I know you do that. Scott does that, right? And this new person is going to have that bandwidth and so that could be really hard for people to accept what you just said. Mm -hmm. Like, can I really convince you guys to, heck yeah, <laughs> we're doing a staffing agency. It's evidence, <laughs> the, the Isaiah's evidence of this stuff, place-based case management through Strive is evidence of this stuff, Strive Online. Like, I can keep going. Like, yeah. we, we, this is what we do. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, if I knew everything, if I knew how to run this staffing agency, if I knew the best processes and best mechanisms for billing and, and, and marketing and, and training and retention, 
Well, we, I wouldn't be talking to you now. I'd have my business and we, I would have been running it for years. I don't know. Here's the thing. Can't be afraid to say, I don't know. I don't know. I did my research. You did research. We've talked to consultants. We've got everything in line. We've performed a, um, a winning proposal. We have businesses and clients and partners ready to help us. I still don't know. I didn't do it. <laughs> so if this person comes to me with ideas, they're going to be listened to and they're likely going to be acted upon. Um, I remember being, you know, I come from law enforcement and I remember a certain town, a certain major, um, me having a conversation with him about why can't we have a fourth shift? You know, I'd like to come in at 10 o'clock and work till six in the morning. It'll give me, I used to do a lot of DUI and narcotics interdiction and an extra hour, you know, at, at between 10 and 11 is more valuable than the between 6 a.m. and 7 a.m. So back me up, give me an extra hour in the evening to do my work. No, well, why not? Because that's not, because we've never done that. That was the answer. <laughs> that was the answer because we've never done that. And I said that, I, in that moment, I was already looking for my next assignment because um, that's just ridiculous. But um, we're not, we're the opposite of that story. I rarely hear no, to be honest with you. Yep. And I'm not trying to be funny. Like I, it, it is not, it's not like we're a willy nilly culture. That's not what I'm saying. I just, I think that we, we really focus on trying new things. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, you learn to move on. Yep. Um, and, and I think you and I can talk about that forever. And I know this next topic we can talk about forever, but I know you got to go. Uh, the last leg of, of being a, of a sustainable organization is, is renewable resources. We have had numerous conversations about this. Um, I write extensively about this in articles and books. Um, this staffing agency is another lane of renewable revenue. I don't know what thoughts you want to share about that, but that is the third leg there. So here's the unfortunate story. <laughs> um, we're talking about business right now, and there is a business component. Um, but the reality is this is me a tool to strike at the institution of mass incarceration that's what this is um, this is a tool to break the cycle um, this is a tool to drive down recidivism this is a tool to reunite and sustain families this is a tool to break down the stigma of a criminal history um, you know, anybody who knows me and knows the work that I do in and around the state about reentry knows that I feel like, you know, um, incarceration, mass incarceration and recidivism is really the evidence of the devil on earth. Um, to know these folks that have been incarcerated and to really know the depth of damage that it's done to their communities and their families um, is to know the real tragedy that, that is going on right now. It's been going on for a long time, for sure. Been going on since, um, the mid nineties and the, the major crime bill that was passed then that put so many, uh, men and women of, uh, uh, minority, um, men and women in, in jail for a long time all across the country. Um, and again, if we can care for our folks longer, ensure their transition, 
um, make them palatable to more employers. Um, then maybe, just maybe, at least in Connecticut, in our own way, we can help to drive down those awful numbers that we see. Um, but that's not what you were asking me. Um, I say all that to say that I hope I can find a way to do enough damage to the cycle of incarceration that we are forced to look at a different demographic one day because there's just not enough people to help. Um, that's a really lofty goal. Um, and you know, I'm not 22 years old, straight out of college thinking I'm gonna save the world, but if you don't have really lofty goals and high aspirations, then what's the point? Um, there'll always be somebody to help. There's always gonna be someone on the bottom rung of society. That's just how it goes. Um, and we'll always be there for that person, whether they be a formerly incarcerated man or woman or, or somebody with a disability or somebody who is um, new to this country or somebody who has any number of barriers. We'll, I, I fully believe that career resource is always going to be that tool, that instrument to intervene and make their life better. So it is sustainable because there's always that person to help. But the model may have to change someday because we're we do so well at it. That's what I yeah. Think. So for people like wondering like how those dots connect to what you're saying and, and renewable resources, you know, renewable resources as I talk about in the book is is finding revenue that comes in over and over and over again. And to fight the problems that we're targeting is not only a tool against mass incarceration and the injustices of the system but also at our core, we're a workforce development agency. And to help people find, maintain jobs, get ready for jobs and all the innovation that goes into that, we need money. There's an old adage that says money is a defense. And when you run out of money, you run out of opportunities to help as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. And so we've been blessed, if, if I'm honest, um, particularly during Corona, pre-Corona, to have multiple revenue streams within our company. Yep. Uh, this adds to it, but there's this, this money is a result of doing good work, right? And a sustainable organization doesn't do or run businesses just to make money. It, it's, it's a part of who we are at our core. And so entry point, just like Isaiah and Strive, YCA, the AJCs and everything else we do, they're revenue generators, but it's all about this focus of this mission that continues to renew over and over and over again. So Rob, th this wraps up our time and I know we shared a ton of good information, but if someone feels like they are interested, if they feel like they're qualified, if they feel like they want to be a part of our culture, part of our team, part of our company, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you to notify you of their candidacy? Um, well, regarding any of the stuff that falls under my umbrella, I can be emailed at uh, Hebert, H-E-B-E-R-T, at careerresources.org. Um, anybody that knows Dr. Clark here can, can reach me via him. If you have a general inquiry about um, open positions, um, again, one of the things that we're working on, part of our strategic plan is doing a better job um, with the recruitment process because that's frankly a, a weakness currently. Um, but you can send a letter of inquiry or an email to um, Arbello, A-R-B-E-L-O, Arbello, at careerresources.org. That's Carmen Arbello. She is our HR director, and she has an up-to-date 
um, list of positions right now. I'll tell you, we're looking for a Strive trainer slash case manager. Uh, no, we're looking for two of them. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm, I'm looking for two people to hire. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, believe I sent you an interesting individual yep. today. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, we are looking for a career agent in our business services unit, which yep. is part of the American Job Center. Um, that unit, you know, interacts directly with our area employers. Um, we are looking for two case managers at our residential facility, facilities. Um, and we're always looking for uh, per diem monitors at all of our houses. Pretty much that's a unfortunate, but yet required part of that type of business. Um, where we're always sort of hiring for that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Oh, very exciting news. Um, we very well may be looking to expand our fatherhood program. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Our friends at the Department of Social Services have applied for, uh, don't remember what the acronym stands for, but it's FIRE, F-I-R-E, you probably know, Dr. Clark. Um, so they're applying for federal money to expand all five of their um, current sites, which for resources in Bridgeport is one of them. So we're looking to, if, if the state wins that money, we'll be looking to hire two full-time um, case managers in our fatherhood program to expand services there across Fairfield County. Um, our, um, I don't know the titles, but our, our disability, uh, everybody works office. Yeah. We'll hire two people um, are extremely talented and unfortunately outgoing uh, Caitlin Mangillo. Um, needs to be replaced at some point. Um, she's leaving to go to work for the state. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, I guess the, I'll go with our board chairs. Uh, the net net is that there's a lot of opportunity at career resources and um, we're expanding as fast as possible, but in a smart, deliberate way. Um, you know, I think three years ago before Waterbury, we were maybe 50 employees-ish. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just now. So um, we added all the Waterbury staff. We've expanded Strive. We added five, re-added fatherhood because it was gone for a while. And Isaiah, um, we're about 200 now. Yeah. The, the, maybe like 160 something. But the fact is we've tripled, I believe, yeah. in, in three years. And we're just going for more. Um, but again, it's all intentional. It's all connected. It's not... Mm -hmm. It's not what it may seem from the outside. It's not loosey-goosey or anything like that. It is very directed. It's very strategic. And uh, if you're interested in coming on board, give us a shout. Yeah, we've got a lot of positions. So, yeah. But uh, we definitely want to focus on entry point, and uh, hopefully we find that right person. Um, this is a good conversation, Rob. This hour went by really, really fast, man. Always does. Yep. We'll catch you guys next time. See you.